everyone. Thanks for joining. Today, I'm speaking with Catherine Cronus. Catherine is the founder of StopWoke.ca, and she's a mom, and she's been speaking out about what's going on in education, K-12, through in Ontario and in Canada in general. And I wanted to have her on to talk about <clears throat> what's going on in the schools in Canada. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Obeid. Thanks for having me. So I mentioned you'd started uh, StopWoke.ca. I've been seeing what's going on in schools and I've been looking into it a bit and it's harder to get information out of Canada, I find, than it is out of the U.S. So if you wouldn't mind just you know, giving a little brief history, like what got you into it, what made you decide to start that and like what you're seeing in the schools? Sure. So I think that if, you, if we go back a little further... Uh, before I sort of recognized what the real issue was happening in our school system, I had been noticing for a while, in, I had noticed there was something happening in the culture, the rise of terms like BIPOC and personal people of color, et cetera. And I was perplexed by that. But I was also really concerned as I had two children in the Hamilton Wentworth School Board here in Ontario. I was very concerned. I was seeing this anti-bullying program um, that was coming in. And I was seeing that it seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't helping the issue. It was uh, harming the issue. Like it was pitting kids against each other. One is a bully, you know, and, and they were referring to like, you know, young children as, as bullies. And it just seemed very wrongheaded. So I remember at the time, I was interested to, to start to get involved uh, in the school, in the schools and, and, and participate in meetings. But we had life circumstances at the time, my family, we were, we, I wasn't in a position to have the time to sort of get involved in that at that time. Then what happened was um, the pandemic happened and uh, June of 2020, George Floyd. Um, I think that um, like many people, I, I, and because of the pandemic, I, I had more time to spend online uh, looking at things in the evening while we were locked down. Um, and, and that's when I figured out uh, what critical race theory was and um, the fact that it was coming to a school near me very soon. Uh, in fact, I, didn't, I did not know that critical race theory had already been in our education system for, for many years. Um, and I hadn't seen much um, direct evidence coming from the schools that my children were in. But um, very quickly after George Floyd, that changed. And... Um, uh, Black Lives Matter material and um, sort of critical race theory based material started to come into the school board starting in September of 20, uh, 2020. Um, but what really alarmed me and that's and at around that time, um, September 20, uh, sorry, uh, June 2020 is when I, I came across people like Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay and I started to really go a deep dive into the, the theory and the, and the understanding of this ideology. So I spent a lot of time um, researching it. And by March of 2021, um, there was a program called Learn, Disrupt, Rebuild, which is a four module learning resource for teachers in the Hamilton Wentworth School Board. And um, they released the first two modules online that were available. We could see the drafts and it was full on critical race theory, intersectionality, gender ideology based. Um, and they were starting to teach it and bring it into the classrooms. So I became very alarmed because I understand how 
um, corrosive and dangerous these ideologies are for our, our young minds to be uh, learning. They're not, not what we want them to be learning. And so um, I started to reach out and try to find other parents in the school board. But of course, it was still, we're still in lockdown, March of 2021, difficult to find people in real life. And it felt like it was very dangerous to be talking about these issues on social media. Um, and so I, I, I did eventually start to put together people, um, connect with people, not only in Ontario, but across the country. And I, um, we, we started to strategize and discuss and, and, and try to figure out how we're going to sort of tackle this issue because it doesn't feel like there's much resistance against this ideology in, in Canada. It seems like, uh, you know, unlike in the United States where there's a sizable um, um, opposition to it, um, in Canada, it, seems, it seemed at the time fairly non-existent. Um, so I, um, with this group of parents and other educators who are very concerned about losing their jobs, uh, we put together a petition and it circulated online, um, on, through change.org. And, but I knew that that wasn't going to, to, you know, it was, it was a rallying point and we were sort of like trying to figure out how, what, what to do. Um, but I took that petition and I um, took it to several uh, MPPs, um, conservative MPPs uh, or other members of the, of the group took it to their MPPs and they, there wasn't any interest in helping me bring this petition to the legislature. Uh, very shortly after I heard about a new political party opening up or uh, starting in Ontario called the New Blue Party of Ontario. And um, I understood there was an MPP her name is Belinda Carhalios, and she has been resisting um, uh, certain things in, in the government. And so I approached her and asked if she would present this petition. And the petition, by the way, was to basically get critical race theory and gender ide identity theory or gender ideology out of the K-12 uh, education system in Ontario. So after meeting with her and her husband, Jim Carajalios, who's the leader of the New Blue Party, they were very enthusiastic uh, wanting to help me because their party, one of the main um, concerns with that party is they want to uh, push back and fight against woke ideology in the education system and um, prioritize uh, parental rights in the education system and school choice. So uh, at that time, I. I developed the petition um, with them. And then um, at the same time, there was a bill that was coming through uh, that had just been drafted, just the beginning of December, a bill called Bill 67, which was um, drafted by NDP MPP, uh, Laura May Lindo from Kitchener. And that bill essentially wants to legislate critical race theory into the education system by tying teacher promotions and evaluations to how much they learn about critical race theory based uh, training, but also how much they promote it. And also there were uh, listed in the bill um, proposals for fines of up to $200 for students if they, um, or for, not just for students, I should say, for it, it, the, the wording is for any person. So any person in the school system 
um, disturbing with, uh, uh, sorry, the, the term is a racist disturbance happening in uh, a school or a school board meeting, then that person could be subject to up to $200 fine. The problem with their definition of racism was they were also including the fact that it would, could be something in the subconscious. So that bill actually went through second reading and in early March, um, it was unanimously approved by all MPPs, including all 50 conservative MPPs voted yes for that bill, except for Belinda Carajalios, who is the only MPP in Ontario who could see what that bill was, could understand that that critical race theory was an anti-liberal bill. It's not something we want in our education system. And she's the person who stood up against it. Um, and so the, at that point, that's when I brought out my petition to stop critical race theory and gender uh, identity theory in the school system and also to stop Bill 67. But when you mentioned like it's in the, uh, in the subconscious, so they were leaving that up to whoever was offended. So if I said I was offended and, you know, Catherine said something racist and I'm offended, then they talk about how they're going to evaluate the claims. I mean, you know, I could just say I'm offended and how are they going to know? Well, I, unfortunately, I don't have the bill right in front of me, but the, um, the, the wording of the bill was like anybody promoting the ideas that there is, you know, this idea of racial inferiority either consciously or subconsciously. Now, of course, how can you be, how can you be, first of all, something that's subconscious is outside of your volitional control. How can anybody know what's in my subconscious? How can I know what's in your subconscious obeyed to, to, to actually charge you with a, the offense of, you know, subconscious racism? So right there, that was a, you know, a, like a, a huge red flag. <laughs> Um, for the bill. Like on my end too, I started looking into this around 2014 and I was more looking into it because I got called a white supremacist for criticizing Islam. A, I'm brown. And I was like, where the hell is this coming from? This was around 2014. And then I was just seeing some stuff about schools and I was seeing, you know, more I was looking at what was going on in universities. And then when Jordan Peterson got, got into the limelight, and then he started talking about the diversity trainings in the schools in Ontario. And that was around, I want to say about 2017 or so. And again, a lot of people were just, oh, you're making, what do you have against diversity? So like you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of pushback in Canada and people weren't really looking at it. So, and you know, politicians voting for it. Is it just because it sounds good to them? Like diversity sounds good. Anti-racism sounds good, you know? let's fight homophobia, let's fight transphobia, all these things sound good. So do you think just people were just, okay, it's anti-racist, that's a good thing, we should vote for it? Or like, or people just had no clue whatsoever? Like, where do you think that was? Well, I, I, can't, I can't know what's in people's mind or thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I do know, for example, one MPP, his name is Rick, Nichols and he he was apparently the representative for another party called the Ontario Party who on their platform is quite clearly against critical race theory and he voted yes for this bill 
Um, after the fact, he, he apologized and he said he didn't realize what this bill was uh, and he felt bad for voting yes for it. He was misunder, he, he claims he was, uh, he misunderstood the term anti-racism, like anti-racism seems like a great, um, a great uh, bill. Like, you know, it, it sounds like a great thing, but the truth is, is that at this stage uh, in 2022, this ideology has been pushing for a long time through. And I feel like the conservative, any, any MPP following what's happening in Canadian politics and seeing this, if you're a conservative MPP, you see this ideology going through and you should know that anti-racism is sort of like a code word for critical race theory, which and critical race theory is effectively a Marxist-based ideology, exactly the ex exact antithesis of what conservatives stand for, um, and so I can't, I can't, I cannot say, you know, for certain the reasons for each one of those MPPs voting for for yes for this bill, um, but I would say that uh, either they're, they're not paying attention, they're not doing their their job, or some of them are voting yes for this bill when they knew that it sh they should not be voting yes for this bill. They know that there's something wrong with it. I think the first time I'd started hearing about some of this stuff in school and it was, I was watching something and they were reading from a textbook from a middle school in Vancouver. And it was all about like every lesson, everything they were talking about, it was all put through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. Then, like I said, I saw what was going on in the universities. And that's when I looked at a bit at the colleges of education. So I'm wondering, do you think that before, because like I said, you know, Peterson had mentioned that stuff around 2017, okay, like the stuff, the diversity training is coming into schools. But do you think before the, you know, before George Floyd, that it was more geared towards teachers and training the teachers? Or do you know if like there was any of this stuff in the curriculum already? And that's one thing I, I want to clarify this. It's it's not like they're teaching people Derek Bell in the classroom, right? Or they're not teaching Richard Delgado. They're like the, I equate it to intelligent design. I say it's, you know, intelligent design wasn't teaching the catechism, mm -hmm. but they're talking about creationism. And I'm like, so yeah, they're not teaching Derek Bell and they're not talking about, um, uh, geez, I'm forgetting some of the terms. Like they're not talking about, um, you know, like, interest convergence and things like that, but they are talking about how you're either oppressed or oppressor and you, they're basing the curriculum on that ideology, just the same way as intelligent design was basing it on, you know, like fundamentalist Christianity. Right. Like it's even worse than teaching it. So yes, technically they're not teaching critical race theory. And that's mm. why we're saying we want the teachings based yeah. in critical race theory it's even worse than them teaching critical race theory because we could that would be that would be okay for them to teach about critical race theory but oh. what they are doing is they're assuming the tenets of critical race theory to be true and they are they are they are basically putting them into practice and so you know like they're not even questioning the tenets of critical race theory whatsoever there was one school in New York city and it was really highly publicized because it was a private school 
I think it was something like $50,000 a year, $40,000 a year. I mean, insane amount for, and it was a K through eight academy. So in 2015, they sent letters home to all the parents and asked how the parents, how the kid, how they would like their kids to identify by what race, especially for mixed race kids. And then for one hour a week, they took all the kids from grade three to grade eight and they separated them by race. So, you know, I call them affinity groups. And they told all the white kids that you're oppressors, you're racist, you caused all these problems for all these other kids. They told all the other kids that you've been oppressed by the white kids and, you know, like all the same, you know, the CRT stuff, Kendi's anti-racism stuff, like, you know, D'Angelo's white fragility, all that kind of stuff. They were basing all their curriculum on it. And within a matter of a couple of months, these kids started spouting like ethno-nationalist rhetoric. So the white kids would have, you know, fit in and obviously not all of them, but like a large percentage of them would have fit in with a KKK meeting. And, you know, you had black kids spouting similar rhetoric, but about how, you know, black people were the best and you had Hispanic kids doing the same thing, Asian kids doing the same thing. And that school to this day still has a lot of, you know, problems with fighting at hallways, a lot of problems with racism. Um, and I mean, you see, like I see more and more of that in schools across the States where there's more fights breaking out. Um, kids are being bullied and harassed because they're white. So are you noticing anything like that in schools? Like, is there more tension between the kids or excuse me, is there anything like that going on or is, is it still, they're still not that indoctrinated yet? I'm just curious about that. I think it would vary on um, school to school with, like I can only speak for what's happening in my school board. Mm -hmm. And and I would say that it's probably, it really varies from, from school to school. Depends on who the administrators are. Depends on who the teachers are. Depends on how the, how the students are being instructed. I can say that I feel at, at the moment, very fortunate because the school that my son um, is going to, the school that my son and daughter went to for elementary, uh, I feel like they had excellent teachers. There is a little bit of this um, ideology, but the teachers there were, are fairly, I feel, liberal based. And so they wouldn't be, you know, um, my feeling is they're not the kind of teachers to be, my son and daughter have not felt that they have been targeted uh, uh, or, or felt less than because of their skin color so far. Okay. But that's our experience. And, and, um, and that could actually change at any time because my son is going to a new high school um, starting in the fall. And, um, and, and, and we do see what I do see evidence of um, to be honest, Frank woke racism coming from, Hamilton Wentworth school board teachers on their social media. Um, and I feel it's a very, um, you know, caustic and corrosive um, um, sort of um, sentiment to be displaying on, on social media. And they're doing it without any sort of um, um, accountability or, 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 or penal, uh, being penalized for that. So it, it's a little concerning because what's, I think what's happening is 
there is an emboldened aspect to what's happening the, the, as, this, as this ideology sort of makes its way through deeper and deeper into the system. So I'm just like, cause I, you see a lot in the States about, you know, transparency bills and the allowing access to curriculum and also allowing access to lesson plans. Cause you know, I always use this example that you could teach Huck Finn. So a parent sees, okay, you know, my eighth grader or my ninth grader is going to be reading Huck Finn and think, okay, well, Huck Finn's a good book. You know, it's got a good message, but you can, if you have a woke teacher, you can mm-hmm. turn Huck Finn into a woke lesson. You can talk about how, you know, Huck was using Jim's emotional labor and, you know, he was, and then even though he let Jim go, he went back into that white supremacist system. So he never got rid of his privilege. I mean, they could totally alter the message of that book. A hundred percent. So what's that like in Canada to get curriculum and lesson plans? Like, is it, because I'm seeing what's coming out of the States and, you know, it just seems like, you know, you got to cut through so much red tape and there's so many hurdles and all oh, this is proprietary. You can't see it. So like, I'm just wondering what it's like in Canada for things like that. We are, have, we are having challenges. I'm, I'm getting reports from parents who are um, finding it difficult to get a hold of the lessons. Uh, in particular, this, this lesson plan, Learn to Disrupt, Rebuild, um, they put lesson drafts on, but then they were dragged there. It was already being taught in the schools, but they had put lesson drafts on the website, but they kept saying, okay, the official lessons will be coming with them. But they, when they, when you see the official lessons, they're like a watered down version of what the, the, the first drafts were. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so in order, and, and you're right, because the teachers have a lot of latitude in terms of how they can interpret what, what, what is asked from, of them in the curriculum. And you're right, 100%, that teachers who are more indoctrinated into this ideology are more likely to be teaching it than teachers that are, and usually teachers that are older, um, you know, coming from more of a liberal background who, who were educated in teachers college prior to let's say 2010 or 2005. Um, so so that, is, that, is a, that is a challenge and, and we are also starting to see that the educators um, are starting to deny that critical race theory is being taught or sort of um, try to just, you know, sort of like cover up the fact of the, of the background of where the lessons are coming from, where we know that, that these lessons are, are rooted in critical race theory or, or critical theory type um, ideology, which is, you know, basically coming from that Marxist and, and postmodern bent. Um, I just want to switch gears here. So, you, cause you'd also mentioned the gender stuff and I've been looking at some of the, was it the Soji one, two, three, I've been seeing what's coming through. And then after with bill C4 passing uh, federally, now, again, I hear in the States about the schools are going to keep it quiet from the parents. If the child changes their gender and they're not going to tell the parents and things like that. Is that happening here as well? Or is it still in the stage of where they're training the teachers or actually building, are they building curriculum off that stuff? No, it's definitely here. I've talked to teachers in the Hamilton Wentworth School Board who have been rather appalled that they have had to spend an entire year um, uh, basically calling a student by their new name, not parental approved name, 
but a, a, a student has decided to socially transition in say grade seven or grade eight, mm -hmm. and the teacher is forced to call them by their new name and the parents have no idea that that is happening. We also have right on our school, um, our Hamilton Wentler School Board, they have a name, a name change form, which says, this is all you have to do to change your name. Contact your teacher, contact your principal, but in no way do they say that you need to have parental consent to, for the teachers at, a, at, at, a, at, a at your school to be calling you by a, a new name. If a kid changes their name at school, so I'm assuming they don't put the name change on any official documents. So like if a report card comes in or letters from the school or anything like that, so they keep the old name of the, of the child on, the, on those forms or like how do they manage stuff like that? I don't have the details and I, and I'm, I'm guessing it's probably different for different uh, teachers, but I, I'm just aware of the incidences where um, parents have not been aware that their child is socially transitioning. And of course we know the dangers of the, the, the social trend, like, you know, social transition with um, children that are suffer like having gender dysphoria, how it, it, it like, it's, it's not an innocuous thing to be calling a child a different name. Uh, Lisa Bildy, um, she's a lawyer and she was on behalf of a couple of parents, she was taking um, a school district to, to court. And it was because they told their kindergarten daughter that there was no such thing as someone who's all female. Like at least that kid was able to go home. But I mean, are the teachers telling the kids not even to talk about what they're learning in class with their parents or like, how do, like, how do you keep parents in the dark about that? So again, I guess it depends on the educator and the class. I know that we have this in, in, in Ontario and in, in my school board, Hamilton Water School Board, they have the ability to option out, for example, of teachings about gender. Now, in the um, sexual, um, the health and sexual development component that you're able to opt out of, in, in Hamilton, in Ontario, um, you're not supposed to study gender identity or, you know, about gender identity until you're in grade eight. However, they, they teach about gender identity in, in, through the anti-bullying programs and through just any other, any other classes, like it just comes in. So even if I were to exempt my, my for example, my son is going, he's in grade eight and he's supposed to be um, having that gender identity component in his uh, instruction this year, and I will exempt him, he's getting it in all the other classes that he's in, that they bring in this idea of gender identity. So it's very hard to control. Um, like you can't just say, oh, they're exempted and then they're not gonna be, they're not gonna be getting it. They bring it into phys ed, they'll bring it into math, they'll bring it into, depending on the teacher, they'll, they'll and, and mostly it's coming in through the anti-bullying programs. Um, but it's hard. Like it's, it's hard. I've asked my, my son's principal whether or not um, how, how much exposure he's getting and perhaps at his school, he's not getting a lot, but I do know that all the teachers now, it seems to be very commonplace for all the teachers within the board to be signing their emails um, with the, their preferred pronouns. Yeah. I've seen that a lot. I mean, like, cause okay, I'm in Quebec. They're pushing back on the racism stuff but they're going full on with the gender stuff. So it's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, Quebec's resisting the woke. I'm like, not really. Because I know Ontario already had the law. They could take 
kids away if the parents didn't affirm the gender and stuff like that. That'd be in the books in Ontario for a few years now, but now with C4, that's at a federal level. Are you, do you think that you're going to see more of the gender stuff come in as opposed to the race stuff? Or do you think it's just, they're going to do both like full steam ahead? I think it feels like right now, it seems like it's both of them full steam ahead. And you know how they, the two of them sort of work together, right? Like it's all, you know, the critical race theory creates um, oppressed oppressor groups. And, and then the, um, you know, the gender identities theory says, well, you know what, we have an oppressed group. It's the trans group of people. And so what's happening is people that are in the oppressed group from the critical race theory aspect are sort of trans, like deciding to transition. And then they, you know, uh, for this feeling of acceptance and to sort of like cleanse themselves from being an oppressor. So the two, the two ideologies sort of work hand in hand. And ultimately they're just, they're trying to strip the independence from our children um, and, and take away um, the parental authority over our ch- children. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing, like when you mentioned the, with the race and the gender thing, like, okay, I agree with John recorder. I agree with James Lindsay. You know, this stuff is a religion. And, you know, with the race stuff, okay, if you're white, you've sinned, um, you know, and unless you're black or indigenous, you've all, you're also racist and you're helping the colonizers and this and that. I mean, I've heard all kinds of bizarre stuff. So that was the sin and that was the stick, but yeah, you're right. When the gender stuff came out and it's like, you can, you know, identify as whatever gender you can transition you know you don't even have to, you can be non-binary gender fluid queer whatever like one of the 72 genders and once you say that it's like okay you were always that so you were always i you know i go back to the you know like uh jacob and esau right like jacob was loved by god and esau was you know hated by god and that's from like within the womb. So it's like these people, like Jason, Jacob was an elect and Esau wasn't. And I'm like, so by telling them that they were, you know, you were always whatever gender you transitioned into. So they no longer have that original sin because they were one of the elect now. And I, I, I see that dynamic playing off where they're, you know, here's the deadly sins and here's your virtue and you you know, go towards the virtue and it's, you know, kids don't want to be bullied. Kids don't want to be hated. Kids want to. So I can see how that's like attracted to them. Yep. That's what's, ha- that's, that is what's happening. Like, I know you'd mentioned you'd spoken to parents across Canada. Is Ontario further along than other provinces or is it's because like I said, I'd mentioned, I saw some of this stuff in middle schools or I, I, you know, people were reading a, a textbook from middle school in Vancouver in two, from the 2013. So I'm just wondering, like, how far along are other provinces? Are are some in better shape? Are some resisting more? Or is it kind of chuggling along pretty much at the same speed across the country? Well, I'm seeing people mainly from British Columbia, Ontario, um, Nova Scotia, and um, Alberta, mainly. Obviously, BC and Ontario are the most, um, you know, largely affected. Um, but it's actually in school boards across Canada. 
And in the B in BC, there is a there is a actually there is a huge issue with um, gender ideology there, and also um, with the you know indigenous issues like the critical race theory aspect and how it, it fits in with the the indigenous issues that they have, um, the indigenous cultures there. And here, I mean, it, it's really hard to say which is worse, but like it, it's very very. We have um, Toronto School Board, Peel School Board, Halton School Board. It's hitting the Catholic school boards too. Halton Catholic School Board, um, obviously Ottawa Carleton District School Board, very bad. And just just pretty much every school board in Ontario is being hit with this. Well, I've always said, okay, we got to stop it in K through 12, but unless you fix the colleges of education, unless you fix the universities, I mean, whatever you do is just a war of attrition because there's going to be more and more people pumped out with this worldview. Um, like, have you looked into the colleges of education in Canada or in yes. Ontario? <laughs> oh. Yes. And you know, where I am here in Hamilton, this is um, where Henry Giroux, if you know who Henry yeah. Giroux is, father of critical pedagogy, he teaches at a McMaster University here. Um and you know he's very prolific, and he is the he is the source of the ills that we have in in our education system in 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 North America. Yeah. So until we stop the indoctrination of teachers into critical theory, mm -hmm. critical pedagogy, in teachers' colleges, you're right. We're we're not going to um, we're going to have a consistent problem. This is why we need to sort of change the way we think about education. And we, we probably need to think about having more school choice. Right now, people are paying into public education system and we can see that it's not, it, there's no, you know, there's no competition. There's no, like nothing is getting better. There's no um, incentives structure for people to sort of um, do better than what they're doing. And everything is being dumbed down. Um, there was a, um, a recent uh, Ontario uh, Human Rights Commission report came out just the end of February. And it was um, focused on uh, reading and literacy in um, Ontario for Ontario students. It was called the right to read report. And they based in that report, it said that um, basically they're saying that we need to stick to we're failing our students in Ontario. Um, particularly our marginalized and disabled students. And we need to stick to science-based and evidence-based uh, instruction methods and stay away from um, these socio-cultural, i.e. cultural relevant pedagogy, which as you know, obeyed is basically another form of critical race theory. Um, and so the thing is, is that even though that that report was scathing against critical relevant pedagogy saying we we are putting too much emphasis on that we should be emphasizing science-based instruction still the school boards are ignoring that information and in fact i went to a human rights and equity um, meeting recently for hamilton wentworth school board and what is the school board doing they are centering all of the learning on critical relevant and responsive pedagogy and they are ignoring what the Human Rights Commission report is doing or is, is suggesting. Yeah. 
keep with some of this stuff like the cultural you know the cultural relevant pedagogy and all this are you seeing stuff like um sel coming into the schools here or in, uh, yes that's the next thing that's the next thing it's starting it's starting to pop up and you're trying to figure out well which is the good sel and which is the stuff that's more concerning but i'm pretty sure at this point everything is very concerning so this is but you know think like oh babe and I'd like to hear more actually about what's happening in, in, in Quebec too, but like, what are the, what, what, one of the things that we need to do to solve this is really to get people more engaged in the system. Parents have to know what's happening with their, with their, with their child's education and not just like basically um, disengage from the process of the education. Quebec's a weird thing with this because you've always had the French thing in Quebec. So that's part of it. And so they'd announced that they want to do, now there's an election here this fall. So I guess I'm going to have to wait and see what happens after that. But the Legault government said, okay, well, we want to get rid of, cause we had like a, in all the public schools, you had a moral and religious education. And it was basically, you learned about religions and you learned how to like, you know, what's the difference between ethics and morals and things like that. And it was, they said, okay, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to put in based on Quebec culture. And I don't know what they mean by that. And I, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. And this has nothing to do with education. So bill 21 or 28, the one where you can't wear religious items if you're a government employee and it's certain government employees like teachers and judges and things like that. Now, when that bill was first announced or passed, there was a giant crucifix in one of the one of the rooms in in the National Assembly, and they said, "Well, if you're going to have this bill that's you know about um, secularism, you can't have that crucifix in the government." And they're like, "Oh, well, that's just part of our history." So, it's, you know, they were kind of playing it both ways. So I don't know what they mean by you know we want to teach Quebec culture. Because, yeah, I mean, not only did, you know, they come and claim this in the name of the, you know, the, the name of France, but they also came with crosses and they, you know, they spread Christianity and there was missionaries and all that coming in. So it's, I'm really, I'm worried about an overcorrection. I'm worried about, um, and I don't want to get into like, are they banning books or not? But, you know, school boards in Texas, I think are going a little too far with this and, you know, I don't want to call it a ban because it's school boards deciding what goes in the curriculum. But at the same point, they're saying, oh, we can't have Toni Morrison because that's critical race theory. I'm like, well, Toni Morrison isn't critical race theory. So it's, I'm just worried about that in Quebec. Like I'm worried about they're going to go too far the other way. So I'll have to wait and see what the election happens and what comes out and what they mean by, you know, we're going to teach Quebec culture. Because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like too loose and too vague and you don't know what they're talking about. So. Right. And I agree with you. We have to be careful of the overcorrection and sort mm. of fighting illiberalism on one side and not to go mm. the other way and have illiberalism on the other side. And I know that about the what's happening in Texas. In fact, I think it was Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay's book, Cynical Theories, is on the ban list as last I checked, which is, of course, the, the very book that we need students to be reading right or yeah. people to be reading so i mean yeah it's it's not great 
So, I mean, my position is what we're, what we're really fighting against, what we're really concerned about is the indoctrination aspect. And of course, the thing is about, let's just talk critical race theories, like built in authoritarianism into the doctrine itself because it's a dogma and it must not be questioned. And like you said, it's a, it's a belief system or religion. Um, perhaps one of the things that we need to do to, um, to, to fight back against it, and again, we need the help of parents, other people to, to, to help us, we need to just hold the school boards. Uh, for example, I was reading the policy of Hamilton-Wentworth School Board recently, and it's clear that they say that you must not impose another belief system so we have to see that critical race theory is this belief system, and we have to ensure that the um, Hamilton-Wentworth School Board or school boards across Ontario, across Canada, are sort of um, following um, their own policies, which they're not doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's, even in the States, like all the anti-CRT bills, whatever, the whole debate around it, there were good bills or bad bills and most of the people were slagging them off. I was like, at least look at the bills that are good and say, okay, why don't you go towards this way? Because there was bills in the one that sticks out to me was Idaho where all they did was they reaffirmed federal and state level civil rights laws. And it just right. said, basically the bill was you can't contravene these laws in your, ed in your education, which, right. You know, I don't see much problem with that. They're just giving another tool and they're just reaffirming other things. So yeah, we need something like that here as well. But one thing I find in Canada, but, sorry, I just, one thing I find in Canada that's so bad is, and it, it, I mean, Trudeau played this up so much. It was, you know, he could just, oh, that's Trump politics. That's American politics. And so whenever you're pushing back on this, you're kind of painted with that brush or you're following American politics, you're following Trump politics. And I'm, I look at these people, I'm like, critical race theory is American jurisprudence, and you're bringing that into Canadian curriculum. So if anyone's bringing American politics into it, like those people are, I'd rather not see it legislated oh. here. I'd rather see legal action, but then I'm not sure how that's going to go through either. I, I agree with you. I don't think that we should, uh, I, ideally, we don't go through legislative route. Mm -hmm. It would be nicer to change the culture, to sort of have people educated on these issues because I think most people, once they understand the roots of these ideologies are not, not interested in like having their children per like be part of it. They don't want their teeth. They, they, they won't want their children to learn this stuff because they, they will recognize it as corrosive and toxic. However, in the meantime, though, we have a very serious situation happening in the country where we have our students being indoctrinated into this stuff, which where it is very divisive and, and damaging and it is manipulating them and they are vulnerable. And we are seeing in the case of the gender ideology that st students are believing that they can actually change their sex. And this is, this is causing severe, you know, irreversible damage, um, lifelong sterilization, um, severing of body parts, mutilation, um, and it's extremely damaging. So I do think that we do need to have some sort of strong intervention, like already yesterday. Like, I mean, it's, it's really, really serious. There's last I heard a thousand children in, in, uh, on the waiting list to get into the children's hospital of Eastern Ontario. Um, what am I hearing? 42,000 people, 
who are trying to raise money on a GoFundMe to get top surgery. Yeah, it's what was it like the stat I heard was like a four thousand percent increase in girls who are transitioning. Like it's there's going to be so many lawsuits coming out after this. Like it's unbelievable. Like these doctors should all lose their licenses. A lot of people are like, oh, well, it's just a phase kids are going through. Like if they could be goth or something, I'm like, but there's a big difference in wearing all black and, you know, looking pale and gaunt or a 14 year old girl going like getting, you know, a double mastectomy. There's a huge difference there. You know what? Yeah. So if it is a phase, do you really want your daughter to go through that kind of surgery and then have to get reconstructive surgery later? I mean, it's, it's insane. It, 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 it really is. And, and that's why, you know, part of my petition, um, the stopwork.ca petition that I want um, that will be presented in the legislature is saying, get this stuff out of the school system because this is causing irreparable harm. And even this notion of using pronouns, this normalization of this, of this gender identity sort of thing as a thing, it's, it's, it's very, very damaging. Like something you'd mentioned before, like the disrupt in the, in the curriculum. And, you know, you talked about how they're hiding this from the parents. I mean, that's, again, that's like, I don't want to get into the whole conversation, grooming or not grooming, whatever it's, I just like to just stick with indoctrination because it's, it's a lot cleaner and, you know, you don't get into another argument then, but I mean, that's one of the things like they want to be the only source of truth. Like parents tell their kids, like, you know, my parents told me when I was a kid, like, listen to your teachers, listen to, you know, like authority figures, this and that. And so if you've got that going, you know, if your parents tell the kids to listen to your teachers and the teachers are telling you this, I learned it in school. So you don't know what you're talking about, mom. Like, like whatever. I remember being a kid and being a smart ass because I knew better than my mom because I was, you know, I was, I was in, I was about to graduate high school. So I knew everything. Um, but yes, I mean, like, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get kids who look, to the schools for their source of truth and no one else. And it's just th- that term disrupt. Like they, both these things, like if you look at CRT, that's from this, you know, white whiteness and white supremacy and white privilege. You have to disrupt and take down the, the systems that uphold all that stuff. Whereas on the gender, gender theory and queer theory side, it's, we have to disrupt the cis heteronormative, you know, and they also throw in white in there and, you know, system so they're they both want to break down that system and it just the controlling of kids like i'm just wondering sorry you're frowning here but i'm just wondering if yeah i wish more people would read some of this stuff and but i at one point or other i just think you know like this is how they're teaching your kids about race they're teaching your kids to focus solely on race or you know they're telling your kids to deny biology like i think just that some that should shock some parents enough into saying okay this is not what we want for our kids right and i think i think one of the things and this is like right on the hamilton wentworth school board and it's something like i i I carry on my phone and i show people Mm -hmm. screenshots of this lesson plan where it stipulates like very clearly that equality is as um as um, insidious as racism itself. So basically they're saying the notion of equality is racist. And if parents could just understand that that's what, they're be- that's what their children are being taught, that we're not all the same, that we're not equal, that, that, that to be treated equal is, is wrong, 
And I think that many parents, once they hear that, then they start to understand that this is not something that they can be on board with. You'd mentioned earlier, like they're lowering standards. So are they doing the same thing that I, you see going on in the States where they're getting rid of like, you know, essay, uh, like standardized testing, they're, they're getting rid of grades, you know, at one point, uh, like they're taking calculus out of the curriculum because, or they're taking the stream of calculus out of the curriculum because, you know, it's, oh, well, less black kids going it. So it's racist. Like, are you seeing stuff like that in schools as well? Or is that still not here yet? Well, they did do a de-streaming of math recently. Um, the grade nine math has been de-streamed. And so that's going to create problems, not only for students, but also for teachers who are going to have to manage trying to figure out how they're going to teach to students that have multiple um, aptitudes within one class. And yeah, so we're seeing, we're seeing a dumb, dumbing down and not only dumbing down of the, the expectations and the, and, the, and, the, and the curriculum, but also a lack of discipline that's happening because of social justice. So there, there's concerns about suspensions. They do not want to suspend uh, students from certain groups. And what's happening is the schools are becoming very dangerous. Here they also um, recently got rid of a police liaison program. So it's all part of that defund the police um, you know, that, 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 uh, drive after George Floyd. And we're seeing repercussions of that in the school system with increased violence. Again, like, I mean, like there's growing up in the eighties, there's one joke that always went around that, you know, the only thing Canadians are proud of is that we're not Americans. But like now, I mean, like when George Floyd happened and all the riots were going on in the States, you know, right away, I mean, Trudeau jumped on that, but, oh, the slaughters by police of innocent victims. I'm just wondering if these people have actually looked at the stats because when they, when all that started in you know, May of 2020 or June of 2020, I just went and looked for the stats. And at that point, they only had stats Canada only had up to 2017. And so between 2000 and 2017, there were 450 people killed by police. And then recently they've got some more updated stats from 2017 to 2020. There was another hundred people added onto that. So you've got 550 people killed in a 20 year period by police in the States. You have over a thousand a year. So in 20 years, we've had less, you know, we've had roughly about half of what the U S gets in a year. And yet our politicians, our media, everyone is just going on about how there's this rash of police killings in Canada. And do you just think people don't have the time or don't care and they see it on you know, any news outlet or the politician says it and they just buy it? Or do you think just it's just being lazy or just too busy? Like, I mean, sorry, I'm going to ramble a little more. Like I'd spoken to, um, her name is Lenore Skenazi. She started um, Free Range Kids and she started this thing called Let, uh, Let Grow. And, you know, even here, parents get fined or, you know, children get taken away because you let your 11 year old walk across the street to the park and things like that. So do you think part of that is there too? Like their parents just don't have the time to look into this stuff and they just hear it on the news and it sounds good or, or is it just apathy? Like, or is it a mixture of everything? 
Yeah, I would say that it's uh, a mixture of everything. People think that things are okay and they have no idea what's really what's going on. It's number one. So they don't have that urgency to actually seek out the other the more information. I think that there's also in terms of the school system. Yes, parents are really taxed. They're tired. They have a, they're working a couple of jobs. They they've got a couple of kids and it's like survival mode, at least for a number of years. So I can I can have um I can have empathy for the parents who don't like do not understand the ins and outs of this stuff right now. Right. I don't have any sympathy for the politicians though, which is, this is their, this is their jobs and they should be, if they're going to be leaders of our society, then they should, they should understand what's happening with this. Um, but yeah, just, just to get back. Um, I, I think that there is also uh, seemingly people are believing CBC, <laughs> You know, <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody recently and he said the CBC is like reliable, accurate, um, good journalism. And <laughs> yeah. so. OK, like I slag the media a lot, but again, individual journalists. So stick to CBC. I think Natasha Fata does a really good job and she's with the CBC. I don't really go to the CBC for information, but you know, if she's doing a story or she's covering something, I might listen to it. And again, like I, I take it journalist by journalist and it's, I, I, there's no one outlet I trust. There's no one source I trust for anything anymore because there's just too much garbage out there. Yeah. And I agree with you not to just like, there is some truth um, with these, um, there is some truth. CBC does offer truth every once in a while. I think the key is, is that they're very unreliable sources and they are narrative driven sources and they have an agenda and they have bias. And it's very clear that, you know, they're very, very far left. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. Even though I'm talking about the States, like, you know, I don't trust CNN. I don't trust Fox, but I think Michael Malice kind of puts it the best is they're factual they're not truthful hmm. there's interesting <laughs> they'll give you the facts but they won't tell you the the whole truth you know uh, you take the, the the latest conflict in israel it was uh, there was a bunch of palestinians who started right inside of alaska uh, alaksa mosque there are actually Palestinians outside telling them, why are you writing? It's Ramadan. Why are you writing, writing in a mosque? But the stories you got coming out was that Israeli soldiers killed people as they were fleeing the mosque, which is factual, but they've left out so much other stuff that you, unless you actually dug into it, you wouldn't find out what was going on. So mm -hmm. that's where. That's the key is what they, what they, what they leave out. Yeah. Right. And it's, I mean, I don't know if you've read or if you've had the time, um, but Batyangar Sargon, she, uh, she's an editor at Newsweek and she wrote a yeah. book that yeah. just came out, Bad News. I mean, that's, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, she does a good job. I haven't of, had a chance to read it yet, but it's on my list. Yeah. I mean, she does yeah. a good job of talking about it. And it's, you know, this is not just media, but the, like this is tech companies, this is, you know, entertainment, whatever they've they've forsaken class issues and just focus solely on race. And, you know, it's, 
they've lost touch with a lot of people and it's just you know you you shouldn't need to be, have a PhD to go work for the New York times, but that's what you need now. And, you know, by the time you got through that mm-hmm. much indoctrination, like you're, and especially in the fields that you would take to go into journalism, you're ending up with a very skewed view of the world. And again, I, I look back at some of this stuff and I'm just, so I got back to Canada from overseas in 2014. And I think it was in 2015, her name was Melissa click or Glick. And she was a journalism professor at a university in Missouri. Um, And she called, there was a student journalist at a protest at the university where she was at. He was covering the protest. You can hear her on a video saying, let's get some muscle over here and get this guy out of here. She was a journalism professor. So, I mean, like if that's how journalism is being taught, you know, like no wonder media outlets are just like, you know, absolutely untrustworthy right now well it's just like they're not here in canada they're not even um i mean it should be that we are holding power to account the journalists should be holding power to account but the journalists here in canada are part of the elite they are part of the system of power they're mouthpieces for the power so we're not having that accountability but you know there's another thing obeyed is is because we have this and people call it the canadian temperament and i'm not sure that that's the case but there certainly is a level of complacency and perhaps smugness and cynicism in it where people are not participating in the political um you know systems right and so we have people you know not participating and sort of tuning out and then we're not having the monitoring what we're doing. We need to have people monitoring, constantly holding people to account in every single level all the way. And so when you have a group of people that are just tuned out, have a pretty good, pretty cushy life, you know, um, working, you know, complacent. And that's why, like, again, getting back to the education system, we need to get the parents involved in the education system. Because at the end of the day, that that's their children that are being affected and they need to be, they need to be responsible for their children's and their children's education and, and by voicing their concerns and keeping an eye on things. I 100%. And the, the, the truth to power thing or the reporters holding, you know, power accountable, but unfortunately they're being taught a different idea of power. So like, you know, this, everyone that upholds the systems of white supremacy is upholding power. So for them to attack the race, instead of working on, you know, like class issues and, you know, you can't talk about China buying up all these homes and laundering like hundreds of millions of dollars through British Columbia because that's racist, you know, stop it in K through 12. So when they, by the time they get to university, they have already haven't, like, I, I again, I equate it to religious stuff. And I said, this is like a woke madrasa. So, you know, like all the kids that go to madrasas, like, like Islamic faith schools and not just like a very, very fundamentalist Islamic faith schools, they don't all become ISIS, but they might support the same ideas as ISIS. You know, they might think apostates should be killed. They might think, you know, you know, homosexuals should be killed and like things like that, but they might, they won't go out and do it. So I'm just like, if we stop these woke madrasas, you know, by the time they get to the colleges, you know, I like, I don't know what the version of a seminary is in Islam. So I just say, you know, the colleges are seminaries and this, you know, the K through 12, those are the madrasas. And it's just, you know, I, we got to staunch the staunch the flow of this stuff. 
hundred percent. Well, I think, you know, I think at the crux of it is, you know, on a personal level and one-to-one level is people um, need to have that sort of um, curiosity, um, that sort of intellectual humility to sort of look outside of their own ideas and try to understand what other people think. Um, and, and that's what's lacking in the woke, right? They, they feel like they 100% know what's right. They're you know, filled with this moral superiority and intellectual superiority. And they feel like they, don't, they have all the answers. And they also feel that they are like the elect as Wesley Yang would say, uh, oh no, that's uh, sorry, John McWhorter. They're the elect who, who say that, you know, we're gonna impose our values onto you because we know better. So it's coming from that sort of um, psychological superiority complex. And you know, the way I look at it too, with a lot of these people, especially like I said, if the people who've come out of, you know, started graduating colleges and universities around 2010, like you'd mentioned. I mean, I think it goes back a little bit earlier, but 2010, 2012 is a good starting point. They were new converts. And I've met a lot of converts to Islam and they're the most zealous and they have to prove how religious they are. They have to prove how pious they are. And that usually lasts about five to six years. And then either they go very fundamentalist, they leave, or they just become kind of moderate and just go live their lives. And I think that's what a lot of these people is they're they've converted to a new religion and they have to prove that they're religious and they're pious and they're living up to all the ideals and they have to go out and spread the good word. So, I mean, like, yeah, that's, I think, and I don't want to see this codified and, you know, become the new faith and it just becomes a part of life because that's what's going to end up happening if we don't push back enough. But yeah, like I, majority of the, like, especially the young teachers coming out of schools or young journalists or whatever, these people are new converts and that's, yeah. And, and there's something exciting about that and it makes them feel really, really good yeah. too. Right. And they want to promote it because it makes them feel good and there's that excitement. So yeah. And, and, and I, I do believe that most of them or many of them are very well-meaning. Um, they're well-intentioned. And I have to say, like getting back into the school system that I know because I'm talking to teachers all the time, not every teacher is indoctrinated with this woke ideology. And there's many teachers within the system that are um, really frustrated, unhappy, do not want to teach this stuff and feeling like they're walking on eggshells in their, you know, in their environments um, because they're seeing what's happening to teachers who are speaking up against this. We're seeing teachers being fired in Ontario for just saying, we don't agree with, uh, I, don't, I don't think that children should be indoctrinated into critical race theory. Uh, we're seeing a teacher recently being investigated for posting something to the, to the same effect on their Facebook and, and posting a video of Kemi Badenoch, uh, you know, in, in the UK, um, you know, speaking up against critical race theory. And that was enough to get this teacher put in an investigation and not to mention how much all of this is costing, right? Yeah. The, the, you know, the, first of all, creating all these committees and these equity officers and then all these investigations against teachers who are not towing the line. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, they, and they always talk about not enough resources in school, but yeah, stop spending $200,000 on a year on a diversity officer and, you know, like put some resources into the school. But I'm just curious with the, like you'd mentioned the teachers, you know, are afraid to talk back or whatever. Can, in, the, in Canada, or at least in Ontario, you know, 
homeschooling is going big in the States now. And I know not all parents have the time and everything to do it, but like, can you start up pod schools? Like where, you know, a neighborhood gets together and they pool their money and they hire a bunch of teachers and, you know, like, can, are things like that allowed in Canada? Or like, I, I, I like, I don't know enough about. Well, they're starting them. In fact, if anybody listening is interested, I've just heard of an organization called Mama Bears, mamabears.org. I hope I'm getting that right. Uh, and they're focused on doing like these home um, school learning pods because it's you have to work together as a group. And they're starting to build those in, in communities um, um, across Canada. And um, there's other sort of initiatives like that. And of course, yeah, homeschooling is very, very difficult. Not everybody, not everybody can do it. Not everybody, it depends on, you know, how much time you have and what your, the parents, there could be, you know, they're, they're working so hard that they don't have the ability and not everybody's set up to be a teacher. Um, but, um, but we do need, but, but, but it's nice to have an alternative. And in some cases, it, it may be absolutely necessary, depending on the situation. Like, do you really want your child to be like indoctrinated into gender ideology and then decide that they want to be on puberty blockers and testosterone for the rest of their life. Yeah, I mean, again, like it's, you're just denying basic reality and sorry, reality is always going to bat last. You know, you do, you know, if you're an adult and you want to transition, fill your boots, but don't expect me to believe that you've changed your sex. And at the same point, like you were talking about lowering standards and stuff, you know, I want, I want kids to learn that two plus two is four, not two plus two is five, because when I'm an old fart and I'm retired, I want the doctors and the engineers and whatever to be able to function. You know, like I don't want a bridge built with two plus two equals five math. Right. Well, and, and here's an example of like, sort of like monitoring the system and sort of keeping tabs because last summer, if you remember, uh, Toronto Sun, I think, and a few other papers talked about um, how the curriculum had creeped in this terminology into the Ontario curriculum that math is racist. I'm sort of paraphrasing, but it was this idea that math was subjective. And well, it was a, it was a parent that was up late at night searching through the curriculum who saw these additions into the new curriculum and, and, and alerted media, which then which then alerted, you know, it went through Twitter and then it, and then Toronto star picked it up and did an article and various other outlets did an article. And then that was taken out of the curriculum. So this is an example of how like one parent, you know, just by keeping an eye on what's going on and saying, this is not okay. We, we may change now. It's not in that math curriculum now, but we also know that individual teachers are learning about math equity and all these sort of critical race theory stuff so again it depends on the individual teacher whether or not they could be teaching in their classes in Ontario even if it's not in the curriculum there could be some teachers that are teaching from that math as racist sort of perspective I mean there's also another side to that like I it was just one you know question sheet out of a school in the state somewhere and they were teaching the kids fractions and percentages so they're actually teaching them that so at least they were giving them that skill but the way that the problems were worded because they're all word questions and it was you know any disparity is racist so you know if you have 20 people and only two black people get hired like you know figure out the percentage of black people that were hired and you know find the disparity in the racism so 
they're teaching them how to do percentages and all that great, but it's implied that 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 difference in outcome is racist. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, they might not say math is racist, but they're saying that the system you're in is racist. This is how you look for racism. So like, you know, you're mentioning like they're going to get the gender stuff in, you know, in a gym class or an English class or whatever, but so you're getting race being taught in math. You're getting, you know, a math lesson based on CRT. Again, they're teaching them how to do the percentage and everything, but they're focusing, you know, instead of time they could have actually spent on helping kids who are having problems with that, they're focusing on the race garbage. That is right. And I've even, there was even a, a lesson at my son's school where it was sort of to the effect that maps are racist. And, uh, and is it because, and I, sorry, I got, I, I, I got to ask this. <laughs> is it because of the, the Mercator projection, which it makes North America look so big and it makes Africa look small? Is that what they're talking about or is it something else? I'm just curious. So I think it, it might, it might be, but I, I don't have the details for that because I wasn't in the class. And at the time my son wasn't going to that school because he was doing online learning. I just heard from other, mm. other parents that that's what the effect was, that that's what it came home from the students. They were saying, like, this is what we're learning anyway. And that's the problem because we we're not inside the class. So we can't, we can't actually see, uh, you know, what exactly is being taught. We can hear, we can question our students when they come home, our children, when they come home. And try to get a gist but I mean my son did mention the other a couple of weeks ago like fish have like he's talking about the gender of fish <laughs> and I was like there's no gender fish don't have genders <laughs> yeah they have sexes and you know I mean they can right you, you could talk about I mean there's you know parthenogenesis in like some monitor lizards and there's you know frogs and mainly like amphibians and reptiles if there's too many females, they can change the temperature of the eggs and they can, you know, make sure that they get males. And there's, there's like things like that, but you know, those are very specific conditions and it's not the same as human beings. It's not the same as mammals and primates. It's just, right. <laughs> look, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer. Um, thanks a lot for coming on Catherine, but if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, if there's any place where they can help support you, like, please go ahead and I'll put all the links in the description. Okay, thanks, Obeyed. Um, you can reach me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Catherine Cronus. You can find my petition. Please sign my petition. It's at www.stopwoke.ca. Um, and you can reach me through there. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> thank you very much, Obeyed, for having me. Oh, thank you. It was, it was great. a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you as well. And hopefully, we can get more traction in Canada. and start pushing back against this stuff. So thanks a lot again. Thanks everyone for listening.